Hello and welcome. This is Hard Reset from BigIfTrue.org. I'm JC Cortez in Vancouver, Washington. I'm Justin Sanders in Houston, Texas. And I'm Molly Bryant, the founder of Big If True, and I'm talking to y'all from here in Oklahoma City. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about some context on Michael Bloomberg's resurfaced comments on farming. But first, last week, Donald Trump pardoned and gave clemency to eight people who were convicted of white-collar crimes. And one of those who were pardoned is Michael Milken. Milken's a former investment banker who was accused of insider trading and stock manipulation. In the 1980s, Milken helped usher in an era of hostile takeovers and corporate debt. People in the financial industry describe him as a legendary financial innovator. But in other circles, Milken was a symbol of corporate greed. The Michael Douglas character Gordon Gecko in the movie Wall Street, partially based on Milken. Milken's nickname was the Junk Bond King. Milken led the widespread use of junk bonds, uh, which were used to fund hostile takeovers in the 80s. Junk bonds have really high interest rates, but they're risky and they might just become worthless. Molly, reading through your story on BigIfTrue.org, I was really fascinated with this junk bond issue and just how they make their money and how they became uh, such a part of the U.S. economy and caused some problems. Can you tell me what is a junk bond? Yeah, definitely. So... Bonds are basically loans that a company or government agency issues. After issuing the bond, they sell them and they owe their bondholders interest on the loans. And they use that money to either expand or start new ventures. Junk bonds have a high interest rate. They also have a low credit rating. So they're incredibly risky, which is why they're called junk bonds. So like the idea is a company or a government, uh, like you, a person would buy the bond and then later on, they'd expect them to pay this back and you get a little profit on it, right? But since we're talking about like risky businesses and stuff, you don't know if that business is going to survive through whatever crisis it's going through. And so they might not be able to pay that thing back at all. Yeah, exactly. Because they might be, a business might be issuing these bonds because they're struggling financially and they might need to raise some capital to cover some construction or something like that. Because they're struggling, they might wind up defaulting on the bonds and then they're worthless to whoever invested in them. Okay, so now that we have an idea of what the term junk bond refers to, Molly, what can you tell us about Milken and how he used junk bonds in the 1980s? Milken basically, I mean, before he got into the junk bond market, other people were using them, but he is credited with driving the widespread use of junk bonds, creating a huge market for them. And also they're connected to a huge string of corporate hostile takeovers in the 1980s and kind of a string of defaults and bankruptcies that happened after that. He was an, an executive at this investment bank called Drexel Burnham Lambert, and he kind of developed their junk bond department into like this heavy hitting operation that was eventually worth $200 billion, the junk bond market was. So they helped make that happen. And along the way, a lot of people were enriched by using these junk bonds and partially through using them for hostile takeovers. But before Milken was indicted, he made more than $1.1 billion through his, his work at Drexel's junk bond department. Wow, that's that's a lot of money. Do you think it's fair to say that 
Milken kind of made junk bonds a legitimate financial instrument in the eyes of, of Wall Street and the financial industry? Yeah, definitely. Because before he got into it, they were known as fallen angels because they, you know, were from these companies that used to have high credit ratings and kind of lost some clout. After his work in this area, companies were way more willing to take out junk bonds. But also that means they were going into debt, basically. So Justin said that this guy may have made these bonds a legitimate instrument in the eyes of Wall Street. But like you were saying, this kind of just caused a bubble, right? As companies kind of stacked up these high interest payments, they started having trouble making the payments and then they started uh, defaulting on them. And this led to the savings and loan crisis, right? And this is something that I was pretty young for kind of before my time, um, but it was a really big deal in the U.S. economy. Yeah, definitely. In the early 90s, corporations were spending a record-breaking amount on interest payments connected to these junk bonds. Even when companies were profitable, sometimes those interest payments could be millions of dollars a month. So you add into that the fact that in the early 90s, there was a recession. And that, along with the lowered credit rating, as the bond market got bigger, like credit standards fell a little bit, and there was a recession and kind of this bubble, I guess, and defaults on junk bonds started going through the roof. There were billions of dollars in defaults. And yeah, that caused the junk bond market to fall. And at the same time, pension funds, mutual funds, and insurance companies had heavily in invested in junk bonds and so had savings and loans institutions. And so that led to the savings and loans crisis, which resulted in a $150 billion taxpayer-funded bailout. Okay, so with that context, circling back to why Milken's in the news today, President Donald Trump has issued a pardon to Milken for these crimes. So what exactly were the crimes that Milken was convicted of? Um, how did that case play out? He was accused of insider trading. There was this stock trader that he kind of worked with Ivan Boski, who who also was charged with insider trading. And he, when he was making a plea deal, he provided information on Milken. He had a stake in one of Boski's firms, but he was also telling him what to invest in. And Boski would do things like use stocks to kind of impact how hostile takeovers went. You know, insider trading and market manipulation was what they were accused of. Milken was indicted on 98 counts, racketeering and other crimes. And it was at the time, it was the biggest criminal case in Wall Street history. And he wound up pleading guilty in 1990 to just six of his charges, including securities fraud and mail fraud. And he had to pay a really hefty fine. It was a $600 million fine at the time, the largest fine ever imposed on one person. He, he was given a 10-year sentence, but he served less than two years of that sentence, and his reputation over the years, he's gained this reputation as a, a philanthropist. Hmm. So since that initial conviction and the two years served, uh, did he ever reoffend or do anything else to get him in trouble with the law? 
actually he did. While he was making his plea deal for these charges, he was banned from the securities industry, a lifetime ban, basically. And he broke that ban. In 1998, he had to pay a $47 million fine. And that was to settle charges that he basically advised companies in investments. Okay, Molly. So fast forward to today, Milken is pardoned along with several other white collar criminals. We're going to fact check some comments that were made by President Trump's spokesperson, Stephanie Grisham. Um, Let's just start with the first comment you have here in the story. Grisham claimed that Milken pled guilty so that prosecutors would drop the charges against his brother. Uh, What did you find when you looked into that? So obviously we can't know if that was the only reason that Milken pleaded guilty, but we do know some, we have some other details from his plea agreement. So one of the things that he got out of the plea agreement was prosecutors, they had, uh, a case against Milken's brother. His name is Lowell Milken. And he also worked under Milken in Drexel's junk bond department. So that is true. But there were other perks to this plea agreement. I mean, they usually have multiple elements. And that's the case here. So prosecutors dropped most of his charges. So I mentioned earlier, he had 98 counts and he pleaded guilty to just six. And some of the charges that he dropped carried the harshest carried a harsher potential sentence than the ones that he wound up pleading guilty to also at the time they were still investigating him and there was a possibility that they would file additional charges on him as part of the deal they stopped that investigation and did not charge him with with anything else not certain what that would be but that's something to consider for sure so stephanie grisham in talking about what a great guy milken is here she also mentions that that he was responsible for helping create multiple new industries and businesses benefited from using these junk bonds that he really did a a good in society through this uh is that the point she's making Yeah, basically. So she said that he helped create a couple of industries, the wireless communications industry and also cable TV. But actually, both of those industries were started decades before Drexel's work in the 80s uh, involving junk bonds. And she also mentioned that uh, Milken had transformed into industries like home building, which from our analysis at Big If True, that's not true unless you're talking just about this trend of corporations taking on debt in the form of junk bonds and and using the junk bonds to expand and grow their businesses. MCI Communications, you might remember that from a while ago. It's been acquired since then, but they used junk bonds. So did Turner Broadcasting. They used junk bonds. Someone who actually pushed for Milken's pardon, his name is Gary Winnick. He was an executive in Drexel's junk bond department. His company Global Crossing, I believe, used junk bonds. And also, they've been used in industries like home building, as as she mentioned. Hmm. So maybe maybe the grandest claim that Grisham made about Milken's uh, impact has to do with the fact that she said he improved access to capital for women and minority business owners. I would love to hear what you found when you dug into this one, Molly. There is some truth to this in the sense that until junk bonds became kind of like commonly used in the 80s, bonds were only issued by really well-established corporations with strong track records that would be able to have like a strong credit rating and 
you know, have a good chance of doing well with those bonds. Junk bonds changed that so that smaller, less established companies started using them. And there are some women and people of color who took advantage of that. One of them was an African-American attorney. His name was Reginald F. Lewis. He had a business that became one of the largest Black-owned business in the country because he used junk bonds through Milken's firm to buy out a company. It's called Beatrice International Foods. Um, after they bought it out, Beatrice was kind of sold off for parts, basically. Like they slowly dismantled it and just sold the whole thing off and made money that way off of the deal. But another thing that happened was there was this group of Drexel employees and they sued Lewis and kind of argued that he was overcompensated. One of the things Grisham said was that Milken had basically made access to capital more equal for women and minorities. And the reality is that women and people of color have less access to capital than their white male counterparts. That was the case in the 80s when Milken was doing his work, and it's still the case today. I wanted to ask, in this pardon process, I read in your story on Big If True that Milken had some pretty high-profile supporters and even some financial ties to some of these guys, but can you kind of tell me who supported, who pushed for Milken's uh, pardon? Yeah, definitely. A, a lot of there were a lot of names on that list. One of them was Sheldon Adelson, who is a Sino guy, who also is a Trump donor. He bought the newspaper in Nevada. Right. He bought the Las Vegas Review Journal in late 2015, and it was controversial at the time because he initially concealed, um, attempted to conceal his ownership of the paper that he had bought it. And the reporting staff actually started looking into it and kind of investigated their own uh, management, basically. A number of journalists left their, uh, their reporting team, and they kind of had to start over from scratch and all also, there's been criticism that Sheldon Adelson has tried to control the paper editorially. He also pushed for Milken's pardon. Casinos were one of the industries that made use of junk bonds. That might be something to consider. Nelson Peltz also was one of the people who pushed for Milken's pardon. He also is a Trump donor, and he actually... The Saturday before these pardons took place, Peltz hosted the most expensive fundraising event that Trump has had so far in his presidency. So also something to keep in mind. And Peltz had used junk bonds through Drexel. Rupert Murdoch was on this list. And the last name that, that might interest people is Rudy Giuliani. He is Trump's attorney. He was a major character in um, the impeachment charges that were made against Trump. And also kind of bizarre, but Giuliani, he was a, a U.S. attorney during Milken's case, so he actually oversaw that prosecution, but they became friends later and were, you know, were seen throughout the years going to lunch together, and now this is happening. So one more thing I have to ask, Molly, um, in, in light of this pardon, has President Trump in his long career as a businessman, did, did he ever use junk bonds? Yeah, when she said casinos, that thought crossed my mind, too. Yeah, and 
it was a casino is is my example of this. Yeah, he did use junk bonds while he was building the Taj Mahal casino. Um, that was the the one in Atlantic City, kind of the epic casino that filed for bankruptcy a year after it was open. But he issued six hundred seventy five million dollars in junk bonds to cover the construction and final opening of the casino. Do we know if the bonds that were issued for the Taj Mahal were ever paid back? Do we know the fate of those bonds? The bondholders lost their money. I believe how it works, like after you go bankrupt, they go into default. This is JC Cortez with Justin Sanders talking to Molly Bryant on Hard Reset from BigIfTrue.org. We're going to talk about some interesting comments from presidential hopeful Michael Bloomberg and the response we've seen. This last week, there was a clip that resurfaced from Democratic presidential hopeful and billionaire Michael Bloomberg from 2016 suggesting that farming is for dummies. Can you tell me about what he said and, and kind of what we've seen about that? Yeah, let's uh, let's actually just play the clip real quick. They want the dignity of being responsible for their family and being able to take care of it. And that's the conundrum we're going to have here because technology is reducing the ability to give them the jobs. We just more and more, if you think about it, the, ag the agrarian society lasted 3,000 years and we could teach processes. I could teach anybody even people in this room, so no offense intended, to, to be a farmer. You, it's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. Then we had 300, you could learn that. Then, then um, you have 300 years of the industrial society. Uh, you put the piece of metal on the lathe, you turn the crank in the direction of the arrow, and you can have a job. And, and we created a lot of jobs. 1.98% of the world worked in, uh, in agriculture today. It's 2% in the United States. Uh, now comes the information economy. And the information economy is fundamentally different because it's built around replacing people with technology. And the skill sets that you have to learn are how to think and analyze. And that is a whole degree level different. You have to have a different skill set. You have to have a lot more gray matter. Okay, so what a lot of people took from that clip is that Bloomberg doesn't think that either people who do factory work or farm work are smart enough to work in the information age and transfer their skills to other industries, basically. And his campaign said that this comment was kind of the way that it was circulated. You know, it was a short clip. They said that it was taken out of context because he was talking about agrarian culture and then the manufacturing age and stuff like that. But he still made these comments that, that it's easy to farm and he could teach us how even though he has no no prior experience with agriculture. So just starting out, like I see two major issues with what he's saying. And first of all, you and me coming from the Texas panhandle know a lot of farmers. And you know that this kind of stereotype exists with some people. Honestly, I didn't know that there were really people out there who were so detached as to think that farmers are dumb. Well, actually, my family comes from a farming background, um, and so I've definitely met, I mean, as you have, as you said earlier, like, we've met people who work in agriculture, 
And Bloomberg probably doesn't know that now it's really common for farmers to go to college and study agriculture, like a four-year college, and get a bachelor's degree. And there's so much that goes into it. It's science, it's the environment, how chemicals work because of the use of fertilizer and herbicide and stuff like that. You have to understand weather and you have to understand the business angle at the same time, the equipment that's being used and... Um, the equipment. Just the equipment is hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of these pieces of equipment. They're computer guided. You have to, you can't even repair them yourself. Uh, there's a big issue with John Deere right now that the stuff is so complicated, they don't even want the farmers messing with it. They want you to bring it back to the, the dealership basically to have it repaired just because it's such insane precision equipment. Yeah. And farmers definitely are, you know, on the, on the cutting edge, I think, when it comes to certain kinds of technologies like using drones to look at their crop or um, using GPS systems to kind of see how how everything they're working on is going. So there's a lot that goes into it. And also, I mean, they have to contend with really complicated weather situations, you know, like drought. So the second thing that I really see as an issue with this attitude and with that, that this comment seems to... Um, and again, I don't want to put words in Bloomberg's mouth. We'll talk about kind of the response that he's faced since then and some of the claims, uh, some of the, how he's defended himself. But the second issue is with technology increasing, with efficiency increasing, then we know we're not going to need as many workers to perform the same jobs. And we know that there are new jobs opening up. And part of like transitioning into this new society and this new economy is being able to retrain people who don't have their mining jobs anymore. You know, again, you don't need as many farmers to farm the same land as you used to. You don't need as many miners to mine the same ore as you used to. You don't need as many people to do manufacturing with robots. You know, Andrew Yang got a lot of support talking about a universal basic income, which itself is kind of a recognition that we're going to need some way to replace how we get resources, how people acquire their resources, because there just aren't going to be the same jobs out there. And so the idea, putting the idea out there that you can't retrain people who work like farming jobs or labor jobs, I'm surprised to see a Democrat saying that because it seems to go against so much of the other democratic platforms yeah it's definitely very confusing and i mean that was the whole gist of this clip he at another point that wasn't in the clip that was you know heavily circulated he said that it's quote almost impossible to teach workers new skill sets some of the reactions to this were that he is elitist and out of touch and i don't know that most Americans would think, yeah, I'm not smart enough to learn something new. And so you talk about some of the criticism. Let's get into that. Who has responded to this and kind of what are they saying? Uh, you said that already that uh, he's some people have accused him of being elitist. But what are people saying? Basically just that, that he is kind of an out of touch billionaire and uh, that he doesn't understand the you know, a, a regular everyday working American and specifically an American who works in the farming industry or the manufacturing industry. 
And he's gotten criticism from both Republicans and from Democrats for this after after this comment. But I mean, we should also mention the last few weeks with the news coverage of his campaign. This isn't the only comment that's recently resurfaced in his campaign since he, you know, entered the race so late he hasn't really been vetted as a candidate one thing that came up was his comments about stop and frisk he apologized for them kind of before he started his or as he was starting his campaign apologized for the use of stop and frisk when he was mayor of of new york but there were comments made just a few years earlier where he was adamant that it worked so that's one example of the kinds of statements that are being unearthed right now even in the same in the same statement that we talked about farming, he made some other claims there. Uh, can you tell me some of the some of the other stuff that people are kind of responding to that he said? Maybe I should mention the whole reason he was talking about this stuff. He was asked how businesses should respond to inequality, and one of the things he said was that the bottom twenty percent is better off now than it was in the past because everyone has a car and a cell phone. He said that lowering tuition hurts the poor and he said that colleges should raise tuition quote as high as you can and his thinking behind that was that wealthy students could subsidize the education of poorer students but he didn't have any evidence that this would work or an example of it working previously anywhere and there's no evidence out there that I'm aware of to suggest that that is something that would work because tuition keeps going up across the country. And also this is directly contradicted by an education plan that he released. I think, I think it was last week, but it was pretty recently he released this education policy. And one of the things he said in that was that he supported free tuition for community college and you kind of put that view in contrast to this other one and voters might be kind of skeptical of of the of the change of heart some voters anyway we talked about the criticism that bloomberg faced over this but can you tell me what his official response was did he say anything did he defend himself against this or how did he defend himself against this his campaign, actually, I don't know if these were released or leaked, but there were some talking points that came out regarding this this farming statement that he made. And they suggested that it was taken out of context because he had been talking about basically the, the transition from agrarian society to the manufacturing age to the information age. But that doesn't change that he told everyone at this speaking event that he could teach anyone there how to farm without any prior experience. And he still suggested that, I mean, you have to have a lot more gray matter, that statement. I mean, it, it speaks for itself what he's getting at there. Yeah, definitely some of the things we look at are pretty difficult to spin. It's not gonna keep people from trying. Yeah. Today's episode was hosted by me, J.C. Cortez, and Justin Sanders, and this episode was produced by me. Our theme is Oh No by Hartle Road. Hard Reset is available on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and rate us to help people find the show. Hard Reset is a podcast from BigIfTrue.org. We're nonpartisan and nonprofit. 
support us at bigiftrue.org support and subscribe to our newsletter at bigiftrue.org hardreset. Thank you.